In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In high school, our boys' youth group was really a, a prayer group. We didn't do many activities except for uh, spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius in a moderate, uh, abbreviated form and some other, um, some fun things. But it was a good, good young group. And whenever the, uh, whenever the, whenever the officers met, we would read um, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 at the beginning of the officers' meeting. It's very familiar. Um, Paul appealing as a prisoner for the Lord to preserve the peace which has the Spirit as its origin. It's a, it's a, it's a stirring call to, to do what, what sometimes is most difficult, to, to bring about unity. Ephesians 4 then continues. It's one of my favorite chapters, or perhaps it's just one of the few chapters that I've read many, many times. St. Paul will explain all the different, or many different, roles in the church. Um, You know, prophets and evangelists and teachers and administrators, they're so with a great deal of um, uh, detail that he goes through that. And ultimately, reflecting on the unity and the, the unity of the body and the many parts, uh, and, and from other passages of sacred scripture, we pull together the, you know, the dignity of all the parts and how all the parts rejoice in each other and suffer with each other. At the very end of chapter 4 of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he addresses the problem of what to do when, um, when it all goes bad. What to do when there is no unity. What to do when, when people who are supposed to be doing good are doing the opposite. And this is familiar because this is part of night prayer in the New Order. Uh, on Wednesday evening, there's a short reading in night prayer, and it's this. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Give no place to the devil. St. Paul continues. He that stole, let him now steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have something to give to him that suffers need. Let no evil speech proceed from your mouth, but that which is good to the edification of faith that it may administer grace to the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and indignation and clamor and blasphemy be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, merciful, forgiving one another, even as God has forgiven you in Christ. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Our Lord gives us many examples of his anger in defending his father's household, rebuking the Pharisees, 
St. Paul as well gives us many examples. His words are carefully chosen. His words aren't soft all the time. His words are rarely soft. But being kind kind to one another, merciful and forgiving, doesn't mean refraining from telling people the truth for fear that their feelings might be hurt. We refrain from unnecessary insult. But ministers and followers of Christ have to speak the truth. I mentioned to you at at the very beginning, not uh, only as an aside, I mentioned Father Cena's name. Uh, Two days ago, the Diocese of Arlington announced some transfers of parochial vicars, prompted by the happy return of one of our vicars who was on a short leave of absence. So that's going to trigger the uh, moving of four other vicars uh, in a domino effect. So Father Schaefer is coming back. He'll go to Colonial Beach. Father Kenna is moving back up north. He'll come to Our Lady of Lords. Father John Melmer is coming here from Our Lady of Lords. Father Cena will go to St. Agnes in Arlington. And Father Misrandino will uh, be added to the rectory at St. Bernadette in Springfield. That'll take effect in a week and a half on Thursday, the 27th of September. So we have one more weekend with Father Cena. He'll actually preach all the Masses next weekend. I preached all the Masses this weekend. Four, four and a half years ago, when the Arlington Catholic Herald wrote a story about the then deacon Scott Cena, it described him as being of, of particular concern for those who have doubts in faith, for agnostics, for unbelievers, because he used to be one. I quoted him saying that he wanted to explain faith in a way that they can understand. Looking forward to people who genuinely challenge me, who have doubts, who are agnostic and think that faith does not have anything to teach them. Hopefully I'm able to open their eyes and give them a relationship with Christ, he said. Over the last four and a half years, I think he's done that. Has been doing that, I should say. Not in the past tense, but with present participle, because he's not done. No priest is ever done. Once we're done, then we're done. In 1,526 days of priesthood so far, I estimate that Father Sina has offered just over 2,000 Masses. I think his 2,000th Mass was probably in the last week, if he's doing, uh, obviously, Mass every day, plus two other days of the week when there's an extra Mass. And it could be more. He's probably just about to cross the threshold of... 9,000 confessions. I don't know if he is still keeping track of how many baptisms he's done, 
but there's been dozens of weddings, funerals, many, many, many anointings of the sick. He's even done a few confirmations, which priests do at the Easter Vigil, or when we receive an adult into the Christian faith and baptize them, we must confirm them at the same time. So really, who needs to wear a pointy hat? It's hard to know how many uh, how many dinners he's cooked, how many Sicilian dinners he's auctioned off, and it is impossible to know. Only God knows how many pounds he's lifted in the weightlifting gym in the garage. That will be no fun moving down Old Dominion Drive, without a doubt. It's fortunate that he's only going 10 minutes away, but it, it does add some insult to all the pain and all the ordeal of putting everything in boxes and loading everything up and then just driving 10 minutes. But that's his task. He's been teaching eighth grade CCD over the years, helping out with communion services at Arleigh Burke and the Silvestri. I say that only because when we don't have a private place, we don't offer mass in those places. If we get a public room, then we just bring our Lord and distribute Holy Communion to the sick who are there. He's on Many trips with the youth group, whether it be ski trips, paintballing trips, Bonica in the summertime, Mount Washington in the wintertime. He loves the old mass. He's learned the low mass and looks forward to continuing that. But I speak of what he's been doing in the, in the present, not in the past, because I would imagine most priests begin with good intentions. Most, almost all priests begin with good intentions, with, with faith, with genuine faith. And so how is it that they turn into corrupt priests and corrupt bishops and cardinals? More than likely by not continuing to do those things that a good priest ought to do. Pray, read, study, study the liturgy in particular and ponder the sacred mysteries contained therein. Pay attention to sacred scripture. Be faithful to confession and spiritual direction. Be accountable to others and hold others accountable. To do those things that earn the respect of brother priests and make unlikely promotion to high office. And what happens when priests stop doing that? They add to our Lord's suffering on the cross. Over my 20 plus years, I've, I've seen the best and the worst when um, it comes to people's attention that a priest has gone astray. As a, as a youngish priest, I was grateful for the extraordinary help of the Bishop of Arlington and all the chancery, the chancellor included, in confronting a priest who had come to my attention as leading a double life of a a natural sort. And we, I, I I should say we, because I didn't do it on my own, it was with the bishop's um, encouragement and support and that of the chancellor, but the conversation was me, 
directed them to choose between being one who lives a priestly life or one who lives a sinful life. But by the same token, I've seen it in other places where the one who represents Christ in his church is leading a double life, and when it's brought to the attention of superiors, nothing is done when the imminent threat of a lawsuit comes to their attention, then many largely ineffectual things are done. It's at times like this that Father Cena and I are grateful to belong to the Diocese of Arlington. We're, by and large, we, the problems we have are small problems. They're the problems of a, of a Catholic place that isn't overrun with heretics. Good priests are largely allowed to do their apostolate unfettered. But that's a detriment, especially for your priests. You travel more, you have more friends, and so it, the, what's going on elsewhere is, is usually much more, um, is of greater concern. It's a, it affects you personally more easily. We need to then go the extra step of remembering that not everyone lives in this bubble. We actually have to be deliberate about our anger without sinning, but we have to be angry and pay attention to those other things that are one step or two steps removed that demand to be fixed urgently, or at least demand to have light shed upon them. That takes effort because our life, our liturgical life, our professional life for many of us is extraordinarily blessed. St. Paul is urging us to be angry, especially when we know those problems, they, they won't get fixed by others. The fixes must be demanded. And I say this without in any way trying to bring attention to Father Cena or to me and without in, by any stretch of the imagination asking for your sympathy. This is not a time when priests and bishops and cardinals should be asking for extra sympathy as though their jobs are so difficult. Their ordination their, and their consecration is, is their consolation and the grace that God gives them. Give them no extra attention. Who deserves extra attention? People who haven't been taught the truth. People who haven't been given the sacraments and the sacred liturgy as the faithful deserve it. People who have been neglected, people who have been hurt, people who have been abused, they deserve extra sympathy. People who have, been try, who, have, who have suffered because they tried to correct problems, they deserve sympathy. Priests and bishops and cardinals should be doing penance if they're if their sins are public, their penances should be public as well. But even if we just leave it on that realm, paying attention to those people who really have been harmed 
and who need the healing grace of God, it still largely leaves it about us in the sense that it leaves this only about human beings. Even bringing attention to problems so that they may be fixed in the here and now, whether it be by change of personnel or change of legislation. All of that harms the faithful unless it also includes addressing the harm we've done to Christ. Not just as though the body of Christ, the church, is harmed. Of course, the church is harmed by all of these things. But each believer it needs to reckon with how, how our Lord personally suffered all of these sins. How our Lord, in his divinity, knew every sin for which he was suffering. We tend to think of our own and we ask him for mercy, right? Our neglects, our insults, the selfish things we do, the vain things we do. Maybe we think about crimes, murders, and wars, and our Lord weeping over the sins of Jerusalem. But really, how, how horrific is it for us to even begin to imagine that our Lord, suffering on the cross, knew what priests and bishops and cardinals and popes would be doing? In secret, or even the dastardly things that they do, claiming to do it in his name. He knew all of it. He bled for that. He suffered that. Should never have had to, because sins, these sins should never have happened. We must unite all of this to our Lord on the cross. Otherwise, it becomes... only self-inflicted harm. Our Lord has died for every sin. He sometimes exercises inexplicable patience because he actually does want everyone to convert, repent, and go to heaven. But he still died even though not everyone would. So it's in this mystery that we see who has really suffered because of this and who really can help us. It's in this context that we give thanks for those who have been serving us well. We hope that they continue to do so. We're grateful for opportunities to, to thank them and even reward them. We'll be able to visit with Father Sina on Friday at the Fall Festival, on Sunday at Vespers and a reception. But it's just the beginning. We know how much the devil wants to take down a shepherd to scatter the flock. He was able to get one of the apostles. 
He has snagged too many priests and quite a few bishops. But we will not permit him to drag us away. And we will continue to beseech the Lord on behalf of his church. Grant, we beseech thee, O Lord, that thy people may shun all the wiles of the devil and with pure mind follow thee, the only God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, who lives and reigns with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.